Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. I have really wrestled a lot on what to say in my final sermon. Um, On one hand, it feels like this message bears so much weight. Almost like if I were to only ever say one thing, what would I say? Uh, On the other hand, there, it feels a bit like after more than 15 years and 800 sermons, what else is there to say, (laughs) right? Um, And so there's been, I've kind of struggled over, uh, over the past several weeks, um, whether this sermon should be just one more sermon in a long diet of sermons, um, or should I end with a bang, right? Um, at one point, I thought it would be fun or maybe nostalgic to re-preach the first sermon uh, that I ever preached at Emmaus, but preach it from who I am and from the perspective of who I am now, 15 years later. Um, but then I realized that that would really only be nostalgic or have resonance with me. <laughs> and maybe Morgan, who's been here almost every single Sunday for 15 years. And many more before that. And many more before that. So uh, Morgan might be like, I remember that first sermon. Uh, but he may not, because I don't know that I do. Uh, but then I realized the church was different back then, the world was different back then, and it just wouldn't make any sense uh, to re-preach that first sermon. So I was back to square one. So I had a conversation at the first Friday fun night last month that got me thinking about the letters uh, of the Apostle Paul. It occurred to me that when we read books of the Bible, like Romans, Galatians, Corinthians, and many others, what we are doing is we are reading the personal letters of the Apostle Paul to churches in those communities. And they were churches that he really cared about. They were churches that he was deeply invested in. And there were churches and and communities with whom he had the opportunity to speak into their lives. And so he wrote them a letter. This, by the way, is why the Bible is a living document. It's because it's rooted in very real history and the lives of very real people who faced very real challenges. And the reason that these letters were canonized and are part of the scriptures today is because as communities throughout history have read the personal letters of the Apostle Paul that were very personal to these communities, they said there's resonance here and this could be of help to us. And so we have them in our scriptures today. Now the Apostle Paul organized all of his letters similarly. They began with a greeting and an introduction of the challenges that the church faced. Sometimes those challenges were internal challenges, and sometimes those challenges were things uh, that they had kind of found themselves in by virtue of the culture around them. 
So it wasn't necessarily just challenges internally in the church, but it was challenges the church was facing because of what was going on in the world around them. But after outlining the problem, Paul would then offer the body of the letter that outlined how the gospel addressed those issues and then offer a conclusion. As I thought about that structure, I realized that my own preaching ministry has been deeply inspired by the letters of the Apostle Paul, and not, which is not to say that I gravitate toward them for preaching material, although that's true, but rather to say that I've realized that I've structured many of my sermons in similar fashion as Paul has structured his letters. I've done my best to try to do the same things that the Apostle Paul does, which is stay connected to the culture, what's happening in the world, and then give us an opportunity to discern and to see and to consider those things in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this way, the sermons I've preached through the years feel a bit like, over the past several years, I've been composing a letter. A letter that has followed the twists and turns of culture, uh, the ups and downs that we have faced as a community, and also the challenges that the world has come face to face with through that time. So in my final sermon, I thought I would stay in that vein and bring my long meandering letter to a close in a sermon titled, In Conclusion. And even though I want you to see this as the conclusion of a long letter that's been written over the course of several years, I've actually composed the sermon in the form of a letter, following the same pattern as the Apostle Paul. Because you all should know that this is a church that I really care about. And it's a church that I have deeply invested in. And it is no small thing that you would give me an opportunity to continue to speak into your lives for this long. I've often said, and I think I've said a few weeks ago when I announced my resignation, that people often will say, wow, 15 years, that's a long time, good job. And they want to give the praise to me. And I often will say, actually, it belongs to the church. Because it's no small thing to allow one person to grow and make mistakes and mess up and continue to speak into your life. And so... I want to write, or I want to, I've composed a letter. To the community of believers at Emmaus Road Church, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I think of you. You have been kind and generous to me and to my family. But more than that, you have faithfully embodied the gospel of Jesus in your commitment to peace, in extending grace and forgiveness, in your welcome of all people, and in your connection to one another. It is not doctrines alone that save lives and change lives, but it is doctrines that are lived out by the power of the Spirit. Thanks be to God. I pray that God's work in you will continue, that your witness will remain strong, and that the Spirit of God will lead you in your commitment to present Christ as Savior, pursue Christ as King, and partner with Christ in service. 
I come to you today, as I always have, humble in heart and thankful that you would give me a hearing. You have faced many recent challenges, the pandemic, racial tensions, political division, to name a few. Facing any one of these challenges would be enough to stretch any one of you thin. And so it is no small thing that you have faced all of these challenges at once. But you have done it, and you are doing it. May you be sustained by God's grace as you discern truth and embody the kingdom of Christ in these challenging days. And if you will allow me one more opportunity, I'd like to speak into these things directly. At its core, politics is nothing more than the systems and laws that we establish to organize our shared life together as a society. And so, as the people of God, let us make sure that we are being formed by the teachings of Jesus, who, it turns out, had a lot of ideas about how we should treat our neighbor. Jesus refused to be pinned down into a political camp during his day, but that doesn't mean that his message didn't or doesn't have political implications. So resist the temptation to be formed by cable news, whether on the right or the left, instead of being formed by the Spirit into the likeness of Jesus. Each of you, myself included, would do well to give as much attention to prayer and mindfulness that we do to pundits and political podcasts. Church, don't forget that Christ is Lord over all the nations, and the kingdom of Christ has no national boundary. Our political allegiance belongs only to the kingdom of God. And my feeling is that we are doing this well when those who want to label us as being on the right or the left will have trouble doing so. For Christ needs no mascot and refuses to become one. Jesus the Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so use discernment and the leading of the Spirit to form your political convictions. For a commitment to Christ, a commitment to the beautiful Christ will form a beautiful church, which is needed now more than ever. And I'm going to do what the Apostle Paul did and follow a rabbit trail. <laughs> Speaking of the church, <laughs> 500 years ago, Martin Luther saw the corruption of the Catholic Church and nailed 95 statements in protest of what the church had become to the cathedral door. That act began what we now know as the Protestant Reformation. History tells us that while the church is always adapting and changing to its environment, and in case you are tempted to say the church hasn't changed or shouldn't adapt, just consider that you sang songs led by a four-piece rock band with the lyrics projected on the wall. <laughs> Throughout history, uh, the church has always had to adapt and change to its environment, but every 500 years or so, the church experiences a seismic shift. I submit to you that right now, the church is going through a 500-year shift. It is a shift not just of method, like the worship wars of the 1990s, but it is a wrestling with the character of God and the nature of the gospel. 
For the church will always reflect the kind of God she believes in back into the world. The church will always reflect the kind of God she believes in back into the world. And seeing how the church has responded to the challenges of our day has led many to question the kind of God that Christianity proclaims. And this is why, in this moment, the stakes feel so high. And whenever change is experienced, especially on this scale, there are those who fight to protect what has been and those who struggle to bring what will be. On one side, there are many who feel there are on one side, many are afraid that some are being misled, co-opted into a false gospel that lacks a focus on personal belief and doctrine. On the other side, you have people wondering why the personal belief of many Christians isn't translating into conviction and against cultural and systemic evils in our world. And it has created a rift. My advice is this, offer grace to one another. Because for the most part, those trying to preserve what has been and what they have known all their lives are doing so out of a desire to be faithful. Offer grace to one another because for the most part, those trying to forge a new future for the church are doing so out of a desire to be faithful. And show patience then with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Work out together that things that need, the things in our faith practice that need to be recovered, the things that we need to adjust, and the things that we need to abandon altogether. But you cannot work, this work cannot be done unless we are willing to stop assuming that we are always right and start being willing to learn from those who see differently than us. Be willing to admit wrong, ask forgiveness, and move forward. Because the movement forged by previous generations wasn't perfect. And the movement being forged by current generations isn't perfect either. So do not be afraid, for fear is a terrible posture from which to live out our faith. And we are not to fear others, church, or to think more poorly of them because of race or economic status. But let us heed the ancient words of the Apostle Paul who said, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. But if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do not forget that we are called to love our neighbor just as Jesus taught us. And don't be too clever when trying to define who your neighbor is. Jesus, well, for when an, ex, when an expert in the law asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus defined his neighbor in the most radical and unexpected way, saying that a Samaritan was his neighbor. And so here's what I get out of that. Make sure your definition of neighbor is getting bigger, not smaller. 
For our theology and our doctrines do not live in a vacuum. Our doctrines are experienced by people. And our primary calling is not perfectly formed doctrinal statements. Our calling is to make disciples by leading people into the life of the Spirit. So listen to others. Turn your ear toward the oppressed and those who are overlooked. For there you may just catch a glimpse of God. Finally, remember that God is the giver of all good gifts and is with us in every kind of trouble. If you face loneliness, grief, financial hardship, doubt, or the many other challenges that life can bring us, may God bring you comfort and provide for your needs. And may we all come to see that God's grace is sufficient for us. Yes, the world can be a challenging place, especially lately. But hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus, for he is the world's true Lord, our protector, our comforter, and our provider. Jesus has shown us the way by example, and he has promised to guide us by his spirit. He is the author and perfecter of our faith and our salvation. Our faith does not bear the name of country or politician or denomination. Our faith bears the name of Christ. And so practice a true faith, making sure your life looks like the God that is revealed to us in the crucified Christ. Amen? I send my personal greetings to each of you. And thank you deeply for allowing me to speak into your lives during my ministry here. I am truly blessed because of you. So may the God of all wisdom, the Prince of Peace, and the Spirit of Love lead you into the future. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. One of the great privileges I have had as a pastor is to serve communion. And I relish the opportunity to do that again today. So let me say a word of prayer, and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. Gracious God, we come to you with thanks for all the ways in which you have been faithful. You are the beginning and the end. You are the one who sustains us in this moment. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would today experience the presence of the divine. The divine embrace that says to us, you are loved, you are valuable, and you matter. And God, may that embrace form us and shape us in such a way that it, not, that it may change us and form us more and more. 
God, we give you thanks. We give you praise. And we pray that in these moments, as we gather around the Lord's table, that we would encounter you in this place. And that your grace would be sufficient for each and every one of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.